0: This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voices of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voices of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Yes, I vote because I feel like, as an African-American female, like, I want my voice to be heard, and... Um, conservative values. So, I vote very conservative, so I try to vote for candidates that have very conservative viewpoints.
1: Oh, I don't vote anymore,
0: now. Why not? Um, just because I don't, um,
1: I vote because it is our right to vote, and I take it seriously. This is San Diego Decides,
2: a podcast by Voice of San Diego. I'm Sarah Libby, and I'm here with my pal, Rye Rivard.
0: Hey, Sarah Libby. Hey.
2: Hey, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Rye, and we're also here with our pal, Lisa Halverstadt, because today we're going to talk about the District 3 City Council Race, which Lisa has been covering. There's a lot going on. You got Balboa Park. You got Charger Stadium. You got two bros who were bros with Todd Gloria. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this because for the first time in my life I had a natural encounter in the wild with a politician who came to my door looking for my vote. And that was Anthony Bernal who's running for District 3. Came home from lunch on a Sunday and there he was. And his wife was there and another campaign staffer so I know him obviously from from covering him. So it it didn't go I think the way that it normally goes when he knocks on his door and meets a neighbor who might vote for him
1: or who has no idea who he, he is. was like uh, this
2: is off the record just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a little bit about the stadium, which I think Lisa can probably explain better. Also on the podcast today, we're gonna talk about underdogs. It's not just a delightful old cartoon, but they are (laughs) folks in races, you know, who are thought not likely to win, but that's not necessarily how things shake out. We talked to Lori Saldana, um, who is not just an underdog in the current race she's in. She's uh, running for mayor against Kevin Faulkner and also Ed Harris. But she was considered a big underdog in her 2004 assembly race, and she ended up winning. So I think she offers a good perspective on on what it's like to be considered a political underdog.
0: And she came darn close in a congressional race not too long ago. too.
2: She did. And we also talked to Kevin Melton, who is a Republican running in the 78th Assembly District. Uh, Assemblywoman Tony Atkins is termed out and running for Senate. He's running against... Kind of a powerhouse, City Councilman Todd Gloria,
0: current District Three. Current Councilman. District
2: Three Councilman. There's a lot of synergy. It's all coming together. This whole
0: episode, Episode Four, the synergy,
2: <laughs> the synergy. Yeah, I like it. So you know, he sort of has a strange argument that he's not an underdog necessarily, but um, we'll let him explain more about that later on in the podcast. Let's talk about D Three. Anthony Bernal came to my door, and one thing that he handed me was, you know, just his standard campaign literature. And really prominently on this handout is a photo of him and Todd Gloria. And they're bros, bros being bros. You know, Anthony's a staffer in Todd Gloria's office, so that's a pretty natural connection. But definitely the implication is Todd Gloria supports me as his successor, right?
0: But then you go to Chris Ward's website, and what do you see? But a similar picture of Chris Ward and Todd Gloria being bros.
2: Just Todd Gloria, ultimate bro.
0: Except Todd Gloria has not endorsed in the race.
2: Right. So both of these candidates have these photos in there, and they're sort of like wink and a nudge, like I'm the guy Todd Gloria wants you to vote for. But he hasn't really weighed in in this race, which you might be able to argue is kind of a boost for Chris Ward because you know Anthony Bernal is is a staffer in Todd Gloria's office so that might be a natural endorsement but he ha- he hasn't weighed in yet he's weighed in in other city council races but obviously this one's very tied up for him i think there are a lot of competing allegiances there so we don't know what his decision's going to be or whether he'll stay out you know the entire time
0: but you know for now that these pictures if if you believe that they imply that Todd Gloria has endorsed someone they do not
2: They did not. So just let's put it out there. Fact check. False. On both photos. So, Lisa, tell us what's going on. Obviously, all we talk about, all other people talk about is the convadium. Um, And this is something that would actually happen in their district. And at least you know, with Anthony Bernal, it seems like his views have kind of evolved on whether he would support a stadium and and where it should go. So, can you just tell us a little bit about what their views are with all the latest stuff that's happening? And there is a lot of latest stuff. There's always uh, latest things. <laughs> always. It, it won't be latest by the time this podcast airs.
3: So, Chris Ward, um, really for months, has said that he does not support any public financing for a stadium, whether it be in Mission Valley or downtown, but. As you said, um, Anthony Bernal has kind of shifted on this a bit. So back when we had a podcast in June, Anthony had indicated actually that he would support um, one of the earlier proposals for a Mission Valley Stadium and a public financing of that stadium, at least partial. But, you know, he says that in that time since then, he's gone and knocked on thousands of doors. I think his latest count is he says 20,000.
2: It was. He put out a little press release about it. 20,000th door. Do you, Pretty, like,
0: do you carry around like an etch a sketch or like a chalkboard? Yeah, I feel bad for the one? person who has yeah. to
2: tally the doors. Yeah, that must be a job yeah, that it exists. Must like
0: uh, Secretary Senator Clinton's uh, tally for miles traveled as Secretary of State. Oh yeah, maybe this is a new trend, the Where have I been? The counting? tally. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh, but but he says that since he's gone and knocked on all these doors, the message has been clear that the voters do not want to help pay for a charger stadium and in fact they are you know concerned that money that could be used for things that they care more about like police officers or infrastructure would be you know going to a stadium instead of those needs. And so he now says that he does not support any public financing. And actually in the past week or so, when we got the news of this Chargers Convadium proposal, $1.8 billion uh, proposal here, um, which would be partly bankrolled by a hotel tax increase, both are saying, "Mm -mm, we don't like this. Um, So there are some differences in kind of other ideas that they might support related to the citizens plan, which I will not go into all the detail on that. I'm still trying to understand the whole thing myself. But it is clear that there's kind of a difference in terms of, you know, Bernal, he actually opposes that measure because it would make it harder to do a contiguous convention center expansion. Um, And he's concerned that The convadium, whether it be, you know, partly driven by by that measure or the Chargers measure, would take away from all these possibilities for East Village, where Chris Ward is really more concerned in general about whether any of these tax measures could take away from the ability to raise taxes for other things that he says voters are telling him that they care more about.
0: And that's become sort of the the common opinion now of the political class is just we don't want to spend very much public money on a stadium.
2: It seems like it. So that's the one thing that Anthony Bernal told me on my doorstep is that he supports a contiguous plan. And I just want to backtrack a little bit. This is one of my ultimate pet peeves as a San Diegan and as an employee of Voice of San Diego. I think the word convadium, which we made up, we should like include a little TM every time we say it, um, is awesome. The phrase contiguous convention center, I'm going to be honest with you, I Feel like I have to look it up every time somebody says it. I don't think it's an accessible word. I think when you say contiguous convention center to casual observers, you're gonna lose them. We're talking about a convention center that is all in one place.
0: A bigger it is a convention. big
2: convention center as opposed to a piece of a convention center in one location and a piece of a convention center in a different location that you have to walk to, and it just drives me crazy, and I think makes this debate really, really insular. For people, like it's just a debate between bigwigs at City Hall Mm -hmm. and people, you know, kind of are going to the air is going to be taken out of that conversation for a bigger audience. The more you use these weird words that you wouldn't understand if you were just like having beers at the bar with your friends.
0: It's like going to McDonald's. It's do you want the two little cheeseburgers or do you want the Big Mac? And contiguous convention centers, the Big Mac. I love and, uh,
2: making this about snacking.
0: Non-contiguous convention center. Do you want the
2: center? Big Mac convention center?
0: Right, or the that's two cheeseburgers. That's new style
2: Big guide. Mac convention center. Well,
3: I will say this about uh, Chris Ward's take on the convention center where Anthony Bernal is really set on the, the fact that this needs to be contiguous or next door. Um, Big Mac. Big Mac. Uh, Chris Ward thinks that, okay, yeah, it'd be really ideal to have, you know, the Big Mac, uh, but maybe that's just not possible and maybe we need to look at other things um, and what I also found interesting because we're always trying to differentiate the views of these two because they're really really similar actually in a lot of ways um, is that Chris Ward is you know not willing to denounce or back the citizens plan where Anthony Bernal is clear doesn't work for him because it wouldn't allow for this Big Mac. There you go and yeah I just I just I'm gonna, now we're going like to use it, that it's word. It's
2: happening it, Big Mac. it already happened.
0: Great great
2: um, so Chris Ward is sort of more fluid and and hasn't landed anywhere necessarily on, on that aspect of the plan. So let's move over to Balboa Park. This is something I feel like that gets brought up a lot, especially in the context of a stadium, as what could the city be spending its money on? You mentioned infrastructure. You mentioned police. but. It seems like in a lot of conversations that you've had working on this issue that Balboa Park is something that comes up a lot.
3: Oh, definitely. And the point that, you know, with the uh, stadium at times, we've been talking about a public, meaning city and county, commitment of 300, $350 million that kind of gets thrown around a lot. And with Balboa Park, the latest estimate that we have for the infrastructure needs for that park is about 300 million. So it's kind of a natural, you know, dot, 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 you know, connection you can make. But yes, uh, one of the challenges that Balboa Park has in combating all of these needs and, uh, you know, with all the maintenance and repairs um buildings and Let's there. just be
2: clear, the maintenance needs involve poop leaking onto <laughs> trans, pee. right? Pee. Oh, I'm sorry. A pee <laughs> leakage situation that Lisa uncovered. Yes. Hashtag investigative journalism. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, so the, um, the issue is that The city does not have a dedicated source of money that goes to Balboa Park and therefore it has to cobble together every year uh, some amount of money for new projects or for repairs. That one in particular was uh, an Americans with Disabilities Act repair that led some pee to kind of be flowing onto some uh, exhibits at the Model Railroad Museum.
0: But apparently the Model Railroad community and the animals in the zoo don't have the same kind of political pull that at least the Chargers used to have. The pandas, if they were out there, we we ran this cartoon last year. I don't know if you remember this. We ran this cartoon of what would happen if if the Balboa Park entities, including the animals and and Shakespeare, uh, decided to up and leave. Um, and it just you know they still haven't protested. But if they had, maybe they would have their money.
2: I feel maybe. like the pandas would have a lot of pull. A lot of international support as well. Well, there
3: may be some closed door meetings between the pandas and these two candidates because both of them are saying that they think that Balboa Park should have a dedicated revenue well, source. I really hope
2: that you're able to do some more digging and uncover some secret panda meetings because that is something I would run on our news website. Photos would be really important with that too, right? I love it. So what's next in this race? What's happening when you talk to the candidates? Well, I think uh, it will be really
3: interesting to see how these two continue to differentiate themselves. I mean, very clearly, uh, Chris Ward has gotten a lot more endorsements. He's gotten the County Democratic Party endorsement, uh, a number of other groups where Anthony Bernal um, is kind of pointing to recently had gotten the San Diego County Hispanic Chamber endorsement, has a handful of others, um, including from the California Restaurant Association. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, in coming months, whether Bernal kind of gets more uh, support or if Chris Ward really clearly just pulls ahead.
2: Runs away with it. Yep. Interesting. Well, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a strong underdog in that race. Like you said, I think Chris Ward has maybe more support, but they are similar in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But we are going to talk about people who are very clearly underdogs in the races that they're in now, in races that they've been in previously. But
0: first, what is an underdog? You know, one of the things uh, we're going to talk about with Lori Saldana and Kevin Melton is sort of their underdog status. You'll see, I think, in the interviews that uh, Lori Saldana uh, sort of embraces that, says, yeah, you know, I've, I've been considered not likely to win in some of the campaigns that I won, campaign I won in, one I came close in. Uh, Kevin Melton sort of pushes back and said, well, if you look at the numbers a certain way, uh, I'm not. You know, in, in covering political races, it's interesting. Sometimes you'll have underdogs uh, candidates who, at some point, if they're doing well enough, become suddenly dark horse candidates. I think, um, but you'll have underdogs. A lot of
2: animals in this scenario. Absolutely, you go from a dog to a horse. <laughs> Who knows which one is better.
0: <laughs> and then you, you know, you fly away, perhaps, like a Pegasus. <laughs> um, but that's the dream. That's the dream, a Pegasus candidate. We're, we're going to try and get that invented, too. Um, but when you're talking to underdog candidates sometimes, particularly I've found sometimes in, in independent parties or third parties, uh, what they want to talk about is how they never get any media coverage, which is, uh, you'll, you won't uh, hear that in these two interviews, but You pick up the phone, you call somebody, you say, hey, I want to talk about, you know, how uh, you're doing in the race um, and and, and what the issues are. And they'll say, well, you know, I want to talk about how you never cover me. And you're just like, "Okay, well, we're now going to be in this circle um, because you're only going to talk about how the media is being unfair to you. And that's all we can write about. uh, And yeah, here
2: I am calling you on the phone to talk to you. Right. That's you know, that's a catch 22 that we have to deal with all the time. You're exactly right. And it's like. They need media coverage to perhaps overcome this underdog status. But, you know, as journalists, we don't want to create The sense that there's a race when perhaps there isn't. Not all candidates are equal. You don't start 50-50. Things like name recognition, how much money you have, whether you've won a bunch of races before, those all factor into it. So a lot of times people start 70-30. Sometimes they start 90-10. Sometimes they do start 50-50. And so I think it would be disingenuous to cover everybody as if they're exactly the same you know, and we also have really limited resources and we try to cover the races that we think are priorities for us as a staff and as a community. And it changes all the time. So we're going to talk to former Assemblywoman Lori Saldana, who's running for mayor. And I think it would be safe to consider her an underdog in that race because she's qualified herself as one. But also we wanted to talk to her about you know, her assembly race in 2004 um, when she was considered an underdog by everybody and surprised folks by pulling it out with a a win. So here's what Lori Saldana had to say. I wanted to read this quote. You sort of described this underdog element in several of your campaigns uh, to Liam, and I thought you put it really well at the time. You said, um, I wasn't endorsed by the party in my first run in 2004. I won a highly contested primary. I was outspent by a million dollars and I won by 10 points. In my last go-through for the congressional race, I wasn't endorsed by my party, and, in fact, my party actively worked against me. I was outspent by almost $2 million, a lot of it personal money, and I lost by half a percentage point. I have a track record of running as a complete underdog with no money against established Democrats with a lot of money. Um What do you think are like the pros and cons of there being an expectation that you're not likely to win? Because it seems like it's been a theme (laughs) in several of your races.
1: Well, it's both a strength. I think it's a strength because people are feeling inspired to support an underdog. Whereas they like Bernie Sanders, look what's happening. I'm not comparing myself to Bernie Sanders, but I'm saying that the dynamics are similar. It's like our vote has a chance to make a difference as opposed to giving it to the person that has you know, the 800-pound gorilla with a million-dollar war chest. Maybe we can be players in this, this contest by supporting somebody who doesn't appear to have a chance. Let me just say, too, after the 2012 election, and one thing that motivated me to leave the party, um, the Democratic leadership was actively telling supporters of mine within the party, Lori can't win. She can't raise money. And after I lost by half a percentage point, I started receiving checks from these people and notes, very contrite notes saying, the leadership told us you didn't have a chance. I'm so sorry. I didn't believe in you. And I, would, I received thousands of dollars after that primary election that helped me pay off debts that I had. Not a lot, but some debts. And people really were, I think, they felt deceived by the party leadership. Um, you know, here I was doing a Bernie Sanders-style approach, a Howard Dean-style approach, Um, I had over 15,000 individual contributors in that congressional race of small amounts of money, raised about a half a million dollars. My opponent was literally writing checks from his family fortune for almost $2 million. So what I tell people is if money makes the difference, I should have lost by tens of thousands of votes. But I didn't. I lost by 700. And I want to encourage and inspire people that it's not the money.
0: Some people, I mean, also consider it a sign of support if, just like it is in our economy, it's a A measure of people being behind you. It's a a tangible thing before the votes are cast. there are a
1: lot of people who are behind me who don't have money to put into a campaign because thanks in part to Mayor Faulkner's vetoing of the minimum wage bill, they're surviving in a high cost city with less money in their pocket to put into things like political campaigns when they're paying for water where the price just went up and they're paying for rent that just gets higher and higher. I have the support of a lot of people and they tell me, you know, $25 is a stretch. Let me tell you a story. John Lockyer... Remember him, former attorney general, former treasurer. Um, he was in San Diego during my first campaign in 2004, speaking at a group. And I just had surgery. I was in a cast, a North sling. And we both were flying to Sacramento after the talk. So we shared a car and get on the plane to Sacramento. I'm teaching at UCSD and working on a journal research project Um presidential appointee, by national issues. And I tell him I'm running for assembly and he's very impressed. Oh, you're a university researcher and you have binational experience, just the kind of person we need in the assembly. What district are you running for? The 76. He goes, oh, that's too bad. The person who's in that race, I won't name names, but he's, you know, he used to work in Governor Davis' office and has a ton of money and lobbyist support. Oh, and then it's like the whole tone of the conversation changed. Not, oh, you're a great candidate that we need that kind of experience and skills in Sacramento, but like, oh, he's got the lobbyist and the money, the moderate money.
2: So I'm glad you brought that race up. That was kind of one of the reasons we thought you would have a great perspective on the idea of being an underdog is because you prove that they can actually win sometimes. And so,
1: But they can't see you coming. Right. <laughs> I so, was completely disregarded in that race.
2: Yeah. Can you talk about... What factors you think led to you just surprising everyone by winning that? Do you think that the other two candidates just beat each other up enough or that, Combination. you know, you really, it was a grassroots support?
1: People said it was a circular firing squad of Democrats <laughs> in that primary and I ducked. Um, but the the fact was I didn't, I raised $75,000 for that race. I was outspent by a million and or more because there's independent funds coming in and um, Remember, I'm a native San Diegan. I couldn't walk a precinct without running into someone who had been a schoolmate of mine, a schoolmate of one of my sisters that I had taught, that I had coached, that had worked with my father, that had some experience that knew me before I ever walked up and knocked on their door. And i lost 15 pounds walking in that. I told people it's the best campaign diet ever. Get out there and we walk, we win was our motto. But most importantly... I was disregarded as a viable candidate from the top down. I never got a call from the speaker's office until the first votes went up that night, and I was up by ten points. And I never went below forty percent in a three way race. they the, my two competitors were always around you know thirty percent, and I finished at forty percent. Um, the difference in Congress, you know, that my opponent made sure that wouldn't happen again. He attacked me and attacked me and attacked me from the beginning with his personal money. Um, so, Underdogs can win, but there has to be a certain stealth factor. And it only happens once, <laughs> obviously. I'm not considered that, which is why I'm being investigated by some firm in Washington, D.C., asking for my personnel records at my college district, which is why this current mayor won't debate me because he recognizes I have a lot of recognition in this community that I was born and raised in. And so he's acting like there's not even a congres- or a mayoral campaign um, and doesn't want to debate me. Um, because I do have underdog status, but I also have a tremendous base of support from my lifetime of teaching, coaching, representing people in San Diego.
2: You know, you brought up that um, investigation um, into your academic.
1: My personnel records, not my academic background, my personnel records.
2: Is there something about that that you think is specifically out of bounds? You know, it seems like it would suggest that the mayor is taking you seriously as a candidate (laughs) and those are the types of things that happen during elections.
1: Well, again, it's that pernicious influence of so much money in a campaign. I tell people the candidates like Faulkner are intoxicated on money. They don't know how to spend it all. They have so much. So they hire somebody or not him personally and maybe not even his campaign directly But somebody, Lincoln Club, the Republican Party, has so much money to burn through that they go and hire this company on the East Coast to investigate a community college. Instructor on the West Coast? I mean, they,
0: they just asked Very for... Very clumsy. They asked for public records, right?
1: They submitted a Public Record Act request that I still haven't seen because it's wasting taxpayer dollars. I don't have enough money to support my students now. And now my human resources office and my the attorneys at my district have to respond to a politically motivated request that, as far as I know, has only been done to board members when they've run for office in the past. You know, it's, it's pure politically motivated and it's... My... My personnel records, what health insurance plan I'm under, what, I mean, I, don't, I really don't understand what they're looking for. I've taught for that district for 30 years. They've asked for the last five years. You know, they they called a colleague of mine, a reporter, not directive, uh, the research company, but another reporter called a colleague of mine yesterday to say, hey, you know anything about this? So it's just this this undermining conversation. In political campaigns, you always attack an opponent's strength. You don't go after their weakness. That'll take care of itself. My strength is that I am a career educator, that I have been an educator in San Diego for decades. So they are looking for ways to undermine that. They are looking for dirt. There's no dirt there. I can promise them that. I I am just appalled that they have so much money to investigate somebody in this clumsy fashion. And that they're trying to undermine my reputation because the first time I ran, back to 2004, I put community college teacher as my occupation, which it was. My two opponents struggled to call themselves educator, education consultant. She was a pollster. Uh, Another person put something about education. He taught one class a year at San Diego State. Educators are respected. They're going after education. That's my strength.
0: Well, so I mean, a public records act request. I mean, we rely on that to do a lot of. What and we I support do. that. And I mean, I don't know what the going rate is for a consultant to file a PRA, but you know, government agencies give them to us for pretty cheap. So I, I don't know. Quite but to how hire it's, uh, a
1: company in Washington D.C. to look into records on the, you know, in San Diego, I, I mean, think it was just a clumsy waste. And this is a national firm. I yeah. mean, they're clearly. It was like taking a, a tank to you know, defend against nothing. It's just a a very clumsy, ham-handed approach.
0: I mean, you know, probably some of the attack ads that are going to be run against any variety of candidates are based on articles that we and others have written based on public records act requests, um, you know, in the interest of journalism. You I-
1: are the only folks that have said, "Lori, why are you opposed to public records act requests?" And I understand it. You're operating within the box of being a media, you know, professional. Well, we're
0: members of the public too,
1: and I'm not opposed to those requests. I'm just simply pointing out this is a politically motivated request that's taking taxpayer time and effort. The state of California is what funds the city, the community college district. So why is a politically motivated request coming in? from supporters of the mayor, and taking resources away from people, not for the public interest, but for a political interest. I think there should be a difference. I think when it comes from a political campaign, it's different than coming from good researchers and journalists like yourselves. It's not in the public interest. It's a political motivated expedition.
0: I think the law is intended to to make public any records that are paid for um, by taxpayers for whoever wants them.
1: And I I think that when it's coming from a campaign or it's coming from somebody hired by a campaign in a campaign cycle, there's a really easy way to do that. Say, you know what, you can you can ask for this up to so many months before an election and then so we're into political- So information needs to be secret
0: right before elections when it's most valuable? No,
1: no, absolutely not. It's, it's just saying, you know, you have a, you have a timeline. We'll, we'll give you a timeline. If you want to go after and do political research, then you need to plan that accordingly. But when we start getting into the political cycle, because look what's happening now. My district hasn't responded yet. I haven't seen a copy of this. So there's this whole uncertainty hanging out there. Nobody has any questions answered one way or the other. So it's just an uncertainty hanging over everyone's head. And I'm waiting for that to make its way into ads paid for, if not directly by, by Faulkner's campaign, than by his advocates and supporters. He's already spent tens of thousands of dollars on TV ad time. So they have to fill it up with something. And he, I know he's trying to pick his poison. Does he want to run against Ed Harris in November? And he has never won a November election. Does he want to run against Ed Harris? Does he want to run against Lori Saldana? I think if he has to run, first, he didn't want to have to run in November at all. He's never won a general election in San Diego. So I think he's making his choice. Pick his poison. He's going to go after me in the primary and hope I don't make it through. And then he figures he can handle Ed Harris, who has never held elected office and doesn't have the popular name recognition that I do as a result of my background. All I wanted for my hometown was to have a competitive mayor's race, to have a discussion about the mayor's race. That's all I wanted. I tell people, I you know, I love teaching. I enjoy my job. I enjoy the time off in the summer. My last day of class is June 9th. The election is June 7th. One way or another, I'm going to take off and have a summer break. If I have to plan for a November general election, so be it. I'm just happy somebody is paying attention to the mayor's race and forcing this mayor to defend what I think is a pretty empty record. He talks about, we've paved more roads. Like, compared to what? How many miles have you paved? Well, 50% more. 50% more of what? How many homeless veterans do you still have living on the the sidewalks? We're one of the richest cities in the world. We have these high-rise luxury condos that are going up because he has given his friend's carte blanche to develop all over downtown. And you go down there on a rainy night and there are people huddled under those freeway overpasses blocks away from where they've scraped lots getting ready to build the next condo. And this mayor can't figure it out. Los Angeles is figuring it out. They have a program to end homelessness for veterans. End it bigger city by far. Where's the vision? Where's the leadership on, on on those issues? I just don't see it. And that's what I wanted to talk about in this campaign.
0: And so you can see that uh, Lori Saldana sort of embraced uh, the underdog status although she She thinks there's a, a glimmer out there, a glimmer of hope, a chance to win this mayor's race. Um, next, we're going to talk to Kevin Melton, uh, who's running against Todd Gloria for assembly. And uh, he does not, as you can see, embrace the term. He thinks that... Uh, the term might not have much meaning
2: hey so welcome to kevin melton he is running in the 78th assembly district and his opponent is todd gloria who's a democrat so kevin we've been talking a lot about underdogs and i would say it would be fair to characterize you as an underdog in this race but i'm really interested in hearing about why you're running and what you see as your path to winning this race
4: okay well first of all i'd like to address the first uh a comment as being the underdog. Um, I don't quite understand what an underdog is, uh, since I have really, I I don't imagine I've ever been in the position. But if we want to call it an underdog, I don't understand why. Can you maybe elaborate on why you would feel that uh, there's an underdog in this race?
2: Sure. So you you ran in the same race in 2014 and placed third out of three candidates, Mm -hmm. and you're running again. And to my knowledge, you don't have any major endorsements, although I'd love to hear about the support that you've racked up um, and are lagging behind Todd Gloria in terms of fundraising. And so those are all measurable benchmarks that it would seem fair to say that you're behind Gloria in, and who knows whether that will translate into votes, but those are the benchmarks that we have to go on right now. So,
4: well, as far as fundraising, um, we don't know how much money I have. Well, um, you
0: you you should have filed if you have more than two thousand uh, dollars.
4: I understand that. Um, if, Do you have more than two thousand dollars and you haven't filed? Uh, no. Okay. And, and okay. he has a quarter million. Uh, I know how much he has. Okay. Um, my campaign is self funded. I don't know if you understand all of the uh, self fund the funding laws of, of campaigns. Uh, I do. I I've have, covered I am, campaign I am, finance am, for many also, years. I am also a pay as you go guy. Okay? I think do you still, have to, you you still, you still have to file if you make expenditures? You still have to file. Okay. You have those deadlines. Uh, the reason you have seen no filings on, for me is because the money was not raised before the last filing deadline. Okay? So, so next time around you, so next we time should around see... you should see something else. Got it. Right.
2: So let's talk about uh the endorsements. Have you have you I think in 2014, um, you did not get the support of the San Diego County Republican Party. They've Correct. weaved in in a few state races. They're endorsing Rocky Chavez, Correct. Brian Mainshine. Correct. What's your relationship with them like? And if
4: you understand those endorsements, they are already uh, uh, assemblymen. Um, right. sure. From my understanding, I from the 78th District um, uh, Assembly Committee, I am getting the endorsement from the Republican Party, to my understanding. Okay, Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's been made official yet. I've been out campaigning. Um, They have been in touch. And uh, from my understanding, I have the full support.
2: Interesting. So in the near future, we should see more fundraising and a big endorsement from the Republican Party.
4: That's what we expect.
2: Got it. Now, what about other endorsements?
4: Uh, I've been contacted, uh, oddly enough, I've been contacted by major labor unions. Really? Uh, absolutely. And have also interviewed about eight or nine of them. Uh, the unions are coming to me. Okay. I'm not necessarily a union person, but I am open to listen to uh, any and everything that the unions have to say. And to elaborate on your, your other endorsements, I do have other endorsements. I just haven't listed them yet. Um, let me let me try to explain to you um, and some from major uh, elected officials, but they're um, not
0: they're not public. Not yet, well, and that's I, one I, of the, one the key made, things about right. endorsement rights. You want it to be public, ideally. I, I otherwise, I, and, nobody knows and they, that they've and endorsed they endorse you. Be coming. Secret endorsements
4: aren't helpful. They're, no, we're not talking about secret endorsements. Okay, um, but they just haven't posted yet. Yeah. I'm a little different. I think I need to explain myself to you so you kind of understand where I am. I'm a I'm, I'm a uh, outwardly spoken person, but when it comes to my personal business, I'm kind of a private person. So, I don't have to do things. Exactly by the book, like everyone else. Well, I mean, okay? there are
0: campaign finance laws, and and if you were elected, you would have to follow certain absolutely. Ethical and, then when I'm, and when, and I'm and I'm a, when
4: I am elected, I will follow those guidelines. But until then, you. you uh, won't. Well, I'm following the guidelines I need to follow without uh, upsetting the the establishment. Okay.
2: So we haven't heard a lot um, from you in terms of what your campaign well, first, is about. First of all,
4: let's let's go back again. Sure. Okay, because we're gonna we're gonna. We're going to cover this thoroughly so we all understand exactly uh, uh, how this goes. Uh, we're going back to the underdog status. Uh, I don't understand the underdog status because you're looking at a district where the last four elections uh, for the state assembly race, the Republican candidate has gotten 39 to 41% of the, the vote, so period, they no lost. matter which which candidate it is. But okay? they lost. I mean, they, they were lost.
1: not
0: ultimately elected. Right.
4: Yeah. But they, they, they lost. Now, what you have to also take into account, the district change. The district only changed a couple of years ago. Tony Atkins, uh, this was a majorly Democratic district before. Tony Atkins uh, came in as Speaker of the House under this uh, redistricting. So, yes, Tony was the incumbent, major pull. She got the nod. Okay? This will be the first race where there's no incumbent uh, in the State Assembly 78 district race. Full-on change. In the uh, the district status, and let me explain to you what it is. I don't. Do you know the numbers of the? Of but the, the, so there were the. But no, Democrat no, no, That's my times. question, please. Do you know the numbers of the registered parties it, in the district? It's
0: a it's a slight Democratic majority over Republicans in the do district.
4: Do you know the numbers? Uh, I don't have them right. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you the numbers. Okay. okay? Let's hear. And I them. want everyone to hear the numbers, and this is why it's not necessarily an underdog underdog status. You have eighty little over eighty thousand Republicans. I mean, I'm sorry, a little over eighty thousand Democrats. A little over 70,000 Republicans, and you have over 75,000 independents in this district. The independents are going to decide my race. That is who's going to decide this race, assuming that, that both parties vote their party. That's who's gonna decide this race. In the past, the Republicans have not had over a crossover candidate such as myself, okay? I'm able to relate with all sides and all people. So those people who need to come over who are fiscally conservative, socially moderate, they will vote my way.
2: But doesn't that assume that voters know who you are and are familiar I, I with, vo- with what your campaign are priorities are? Sure, I, but— I
4: assume, Let me finish. I assume that voters are intelligent. I assume the voters read, okay? And I assume people want more money in their pockets, okay? That's what I assume. Do you want more money in your pockets?
2: Absolutely. Okay, but so I wouldn't know who you were my point. if I didn't have endorsements and and money and support in Most my face. Ads, the
4: majority of – but you're telling me I don't have these things, and you don't know if I have them or
0: not. Right. Um, and neither been, does anyone else, you, presumably.
4: You, well, no, you don't know. I'm not in a – Well, uh, you, I mean,
0: we asked you to list some endorsements, and you said that they're not public yet. So coming. how could anybody know at this point?
4: Okay. Very good point. Okay.
2: So – Todd Gloria is a well-known figure. He's on the mm-hmm. city council. He served as interim mayor. Um, you know, if your position is that that people will take a, a good look at your candidacy, particularly independent voters, and, and go your way, how do you plan to overcome just the extraordinary name recognition alone that Todd Gloria has?
4: Uh, I think I've already done that. Uh, let me explain to you how our district breaks up, and I think this will answer your question um our district starts in imperial beach it goes all the way up to solana beach okay it's mostly along the coast majority of it's west of the five freeway we have five different cities five different municipalities five different mayors five different city councils five different chambers five different cities Uh, my opponent is well respected my opponent is very well known in san diego I spend 90% of my time in front of constituents, okay? I know what his name recognition is, especially in cities that that he's not in the core city of these other three or other four cities. I know what it is, and they know me. I ran this district before. My name was out there. I know how to market. I don't think there will be a problem.
2: What do you see as the biggest uh, differences in priorities and, and policies that you'd push between you and Todd Gloria?
4: Well, um, I believe number one, I believe in a, a hand up, not a handout. I think Todd and I are a little bit different that way. I think he's more into more social programs and giving grants and monies to social programs. Uh, I think, like I said, I think he's a he's a fantastic person, but uh, he's never worked in the private sector before. He worked for a uh, uh, elected official before when he first came in, and he's been through the system, and now he's councilman. He was enter, uh, interim mayor. And I think you really need some private business experience to really understand what it takes. And, and when they take more and more money out of your check and when when you, have to go to, when you have to go to work, you rely on these employees that we were talking about, minimum wage employees and, and uh, higher wages, you have to understand the whole dynamic behind this. And it's not that he does not understand it. He just has not lived it and worked it.
0: You know, one of the things that always interests me <coughs> about candidates um, that have been in a couple of races mm-hmm. where they haven't, where they finished last a time or two, mm-hmm. uh, I think you did in your L.A. City Council right, race and, and then in, in the previous Assembly race, is sometimes they'll uh, you know pick still relatively higher offices instead of saying I'm gonna you know you know I'm not asking you why aren't you running for dog catcher but why don't you start. You know, at school board or something a little more like I don't do anything halfway. We don't, we don't need to. We you don't. don't you don't to want to start it. down and work the I, way up. You want to start. Nope, start right. Start at the, ride, top. Start the I love, top.
4: I love falling a long ways. You love falling. A long, How's that? Right. I like falling. Al- when I fall, uh, you know, I like falling <laughs> a long ways because you put just as much effort into. Fall in short distance, and you do long distance. Well, there'd business.
0: be less neighborhoods to walk in a in a in a more local
4: race. Hey, but, with yeah, a 40, with a forty forty mile stretch, <laughs> 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 yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, it's, uh, you're, yeah 40 you, mi- See, we agree on something finally. Uh, another thing you talk about is you say, well, you need money for this. You know, do you guys know where fifty percent of the money goes that people that people uh, that people get do- donated to candidates?
0: Uh, I don't know about 50 Well, well let, me,
4: let me tell you where it goes. Yeah. It goes to their administrative cost. Okay? I am fortunate enough.
0: Well, it depend, I mean, it depends on how you run your campaign.
4: Exactly. I, I am mean, am it fortunate depends on who your ad guy is. It depends on what you're buying. They're well, cut of the media
0: by, you know, all that
4: stuff. Well, as, as, I, as you know, I handle my own media. I think I've been doing it for 20 years, so I know what I'm doing. I, have, I am such an honest business fellow that over the years that I had been in business... I have people who are professionals in all of these fields that have come on board to help me out. And I'm very fortunate to be able to, uh, to help out the cost of my campaign by having these people help me out. And so with, and one candidate has to spend on these type of services. I, I don't have as much of a budget to spend on it, so I make it up in other ways.
2: Don't you still have to disclose when people Absolutely. provide services Absolutely. to you Absolutely,
4: everything's coming. I
2: okay. guess we'll have a lot to look forward You'll to. Have it sounds a lot like to
4: look very soon in the next very soon. campaign finance cycle. Yeah, you yeah. can't wait, can you? I know, so you can put <laughs> so you can make another story out of this.
2: <laughs> well, anyway, Kevin Melton, thank you very much. Uh, we we still I don't know are convinced that you're not an underdog, but I don't know necessarily that that's even a bad thing. No, so. no
4: it's not a bad thing. I think I think what we've seen in this presidential primary is. Uh, People are looking to, to change things. And um, uh, it can be done. It can be done. And I'm here.
2: We've been talking a lot about underdog candidates, but let's talk about a crazy ballot measure. Crazy. So I'm going to go ahead and say that this measure is an underdog. I would be shocked Shocked and awed um, if this makes it onto a ballot. What is it? Let's talk about it. So when you and I go to the polls, not you because you do not vote, we should talk about that at some point. When I go to vote, you know, I mark my ballot and no one knows what I voted for. That's the way our system's set up. We have secret ballots. So this measure would make things take it a step further and when your legislator in the state casts a vote on a measure no one knows how they voted so this will make all state legislators have secret ballots let me read the initiative to you the people of California use secret ballot to elect the representatives in the state capitol democracy means use of secret ballot in voting if people's elected representatives cannot use secret ballot to vote, then people lose their secret ballot and therefore democracy. (laughs) This proposition wants to give that democracy to their elected representatives. So, you know, I don't know how this person who wrote this measure presumes we should judge our elected officials if we don't know what they're doing with their time. We don't know whether they support a measure. We don't know whether they didn't support a measure. I don't know how you would vet candidates if not for their voting records, but that's what this measure would (laughs) presume we should do.
0: And of course, the, the secret ballot for normal people is to protect us from our government and from leaders that might come after us if we choose to change who they are. And of course, this ballot measure seems to protect our leaders from us coming after them if they do things that are stupid or inopportune or corrupt.
2: Exactly. So- This measure needs more than a half million signatures by July 25th in order to qualify for the November ballot. So that's a pretty heavy lift, more than a half million signatures in order to not be able to understand what our elected representatives (laughs) are doing on our behalf. But, you know, there you go. (laughs) So let's talk about our favorite things from this week. I would love to hear what your favorite thing was.
0: So my favorite thing is the California Public Records Act. Um, you, You might have heard a little exchange. We had an exchange with Laura Saldana about this because she's concerned or upset that what she believes are some of the mayor's operatives are requesting information from the public college where she works. She's a public employee. And she feels that the the law is being abused. Uh, That's fair, I suppose, but broadly, we elect people, not ideas. And specifically, her job is taxpayer-funded and she's a public employee. And I'm just so interested in this argument because... What if the mayor, what if Mayor Kevin Faulkner said, I wouldn't like anybody to file a Public Records Act request and we're not going to honor it some time period of time before the election? We would, go, we would go bananas.
2: Just the idea that certain requests should carry more weight than others. You know, a lot of times when journalists put in a Records Act request, they don't know what they're looking for. And that's the point, is that maybe we'll find something. And so to say that they're, you know... It's okay when journalists do it, but it's not okay when other people do it. You know, that's introducing a lot of judgment that I think would make – any journalist really uncomfortable.
0: And you find, uh, you know, a lot of the PRAs in the state uh, are filed public act, records act requests are, are filed by companies and by normal citizens trying to figure out permitting requirements or permitting uh, information or land development information or information about their family. I mean, it doesn't is,
2: matter what the reason is. That's the point. It's right. public it's, information. We pay
0: for every column, every building, every employee, all their benefits, every scrap of paper in those buildings, and we deserve to know what's Access in them. to them. Yeah, whoever we are.
2: I like it. All-time favorite thing that's going on the list. So my favorite thing this week is not government-related, but um, let's tee this up a little bit. What's that? Well, I'm glad you asked, right That is the USC fight song. And I'm really excited by the announcement that Lynn Swan, amazing football player, amazing human being, is the new athletic director at USC. It's gonna be just a return to glory and dominance by the USC Trojans, who I love very dearly. I don't wanna hear from readers about UCLA. I don't want to hear from readers about Notre Dame. I just want to bask in the glory of Lin Swan coming to the program, and I'm really excited about it.
0: And the key word is return to glory. Well,
2: there's been some problems. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to talk about those either, okay? It's a new era, and things are going to be great.
0: And that's our show.
2: That's it.